again, we're, we're doing a 21 days of prayer emphasis, and uh, we have a prayer meeting that we have every Wednesday at lunch here at this front of the altar. I have a Tuesday uh, evening uh, uh, online prayer meeting that I have. And if you are interested in any of them, come and talk to me after the words and, or give me your email and I will get you on the list for the Zoom prayer meeting that happens. Um, but I think it extends past that. Maybe God is speaking to you about, well, you know, I have three or four friends I meet with all the time. Why don't we kind of turn that into a prayer meeting? Or, hey, I'd like to start a small group of friends so we can just start praying for our church or praying for our kids or praying for the community, whatever the case may be. This is the time not just to have a 21-day emphasis so that we emphasize it and then leave it and not be the same. You know, prayer is the thing that changes. Prayer is the weapon that we have. And the challenge, the challenge is this. Prayer is um, pandemic proof. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a pandemic or whatever, you can always pray. And that's the wonderful thing. The most powerful weapon that we have as believers in Christ is our prayer life. And it doesn't matter what is going on. It can't be bent and it can't be maneuvered and it can't be the point. You cannot have someone who will keep you from praying. Someone says, stop praying. You can say, well, I can, but you can still be praying inside. There's nothing people can do about it. Isn't that true? And, and so my hope is that God will challenge us in the next three weeks. And I have, uh, I've been in ministry for over 30 years. I got a lot of sermons on prayer. And as I was preparing, the Holy Spirit spoke to me um, about the aspect of spiritual battle. How do you recognize spiritual battle and what do you do about spiritual battle when you realize that it is upon you? And so to me, that is probably one of the most, the most important things is because sometimes we can be under spiritual battle and the thing that we think is spiritual battle is really not and the thing that we don't think actually is. And I become convinced when I realize that we are in the midst of a church, and I'm talking about Bethel Church, but just the church in general in North America, that we know that we ought to pray. The question I have is, why are we not? And I can give you a whole bunch of reasons. We can think of a lot of theories, but ultimately at the end of the day, I think one of the definitive reasons that we, we are not praying as much as we should is because... I think the devil knows what happens when we do. And I don't think that we realize what does happen when we actually pray. So Satan will do everything that he possibly can in his power to keep you from praying. He will have you do absolutely anything but pray. And, and so there's something to that. The spiritual battle will put their biggest guards in the area where the biggest threat is to, to their lives. And that's why it is so a difficult thing. Satan can keep you from praying... He will keep you powerless. He will keep you asleep. If God can keep a church from praying, he will keep that church powerless and asleep. If, God can work, or if Satan can work against a nation from praying, then that nation will be powerless and asleep, and the spirit of Antichrist will be free to arise. I don't think that's a fact. I know that that's a fact. And if it is a fact, the most important meeting then becomes our prayer meetings comes the times when we pray individual, becomes the times when we gather together uh, in small groups uh, to pray. So the encouragement is this. Hey, we're under spiritual battle, and 
my hope is that somehow I will plant inside be children's prayer meetings and youth prayer meetings and young adult prayer meetings and women's prayer meetings and men's prayer meetings and seniors prayer meetings that develop from a from an unctioning of the spirit that so many great quotes pray um, once again. Throughout history, there have been so many people who've had so many great quotes about prayer and corporate prayer. Uh, one, one is an individual whose name is uh, Samuel Chadwick. And he says this, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. It's true. A.W. Tozer, one of the most prolific authors uh, in the last century for Christianity, says this, to desire revival and at the same time neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and to walk the other. And there's one thing that I remember saying a couple, uh, a couple of months ago in, in a in a sermon, and I thought I would add this because it's kind of the, the, the corner point that I have found. If we could show that one. The Satan's most effective work is to make us miserable, but not so miserable that we will do something about it. And therein lies the issue of spiritual battle in prayer, particularly corporate prayer. And corporate prayer is important. Well, can I just pray by myself? Yes, you can. And prayer is powerful. But unity is powerful as well. So if you add the power of prayer, and if you add the power of unity, you will have exponential power. And I'll say this again. I believe that Satan will do anything he possibly can to keep his church from praying. And so my prayer is this. God, let us leave this place, not moved emotionally, but just moved enough to do something about it. So my message is entitled, Is There Not a Cause? It's a famous line in scripture. There's only one time that it is used, but the spirit of the statement is all throughout scripture. And I kind of chose three different references to perhaps inspire your heart this morning to perhaps get you to leave this place and say, okay, God, help me to pray. Help me to realize what Satan is doing. And let me just abandon uh, some of these things and allow myself to get back into a life of, of prayer. Is there not a cause? The first one is found in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. One of the most famous passages of scripture. You will know of it as the story of uh, David and Goliath. You probably have heard it in Sunday school. And what had happened was you had the, the one bank, you had the, the, the Israelite army, and the other side you had the Philistine army, and, and they were at a standstill, and, and the Philistines start coming out and say, listen, we'll put our champion against your champion, and whoever wins just kind of wins it all. And, and at that time they had Goliath, a guy that was probably around nine feet tall, and, and you know, he just, he started to come out every day, and he, he, started, he just started to blaspheme God. He started to call them down, but if all of a sudden you take a look at a guy that size, you become overwhelmed with fear. And this is what was happening with Israel. And so David, who wasn't part of the army yet, just this young guy, he's bringing up supplies to his brothers. Here's this, and I'm just going to pick up the story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. It says this, and David says this, as, as Goliath is shouting out, 
He says, who is this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was, was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of heart, of your heart. Isn't there a reason to speak up? If you're reading from the New International Version, it says, can I not say anything? That's kind of what he says. But if you take a look at the King James Version, or the New King James, I'm not saying anything. He's basically the New International Version. It is in essence saying the same thing. When he's saying, can I not say anything? He's basically saying, should somebody not be saying something? And here was the challenge that David had with the army kind of paralyzed in fear. David echoes a sentiment that is a challenge to every generation, including this one now, because every generation will face their Goliath. Every church will face their Goliath. Every individual will face their Goliath. And Goliath takes on many different forms in many different areas. And we will choose whether we will stand up to the enemy or whether we will succumb to the enemy. And we're left to ask ourselves, are you going to look at the size of our giant or are we going to look at the size of our God? And there's a challenge to us as we take a look at our world and as we take a look at our circumstance to stand up and say, is there not a cause? And if we believe in prayer, I ask you today, is there not a cause to pray, to stand up and corporately call on God? It's true, isn't it? Someone made this quote, pray is a four-letter word that you can say anywhere except the public school system. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? When we consider an, an article that just had come out last November that said in the last 18 months, 30,000 Canadians died from COVID, but 120 children died as a result of abortion. Is there not a cause? Is there not something inside of us that stirs up and says, enough of this going on? COVID is going to come and it's going to go. Yet we're still going to have the same, same statistics of people allowing their children to be, to be gone to the point in Canada where I believe it's one in five children will be aborted. Is there not a cause? A statistic had come out in the last year talking about the fact that during the pandemic, 25% of 18 to 24-year-olds have seriously considered suicide as the pandemic continues that many of them have certain marks of anxiety and depression. I even just look into the community that we live in and know of a number of people, notable people who lost their lives to suicide and the prevailing spirit that is in there. And I ask myself in our schools, is there not a stand up? Is there not a cause? When we take a look at the satanic agenda in our schools, is there not a cause? When I take a look at our government, and the things that go through, I say, God, is there not a cause? God, can you not raise up a leader who passionately loves you? When alcohol is ruining our lives and when pornography is abounding, is there someone who's going to stand up and say, is there not a cause? Should we not be doing something? Is the God that we serve not greater than the condition that we're up against? And there's a challenge that we have that just echoes into our heart today. It is to take a young boy to say, this ought not to be. 
Does it take one person to stand up? Will you be that one person who stands up? We need to pray for our kids. We need to pray for our youth. We need to pray for our pastors. Is there a mother that just sits there and says, hey, I need prayer, but maybe I can get four other mothers or, or fathers who say, I'm going to get four other fathers and we're going to pray and we're going to lift it up because I'm sick and tired of Satan trying to kill our children. I remember when I was here 25 years ago that there were a group of ladies who met in the, in the church because their kids were away from the Lord and they were sick and tired of seeing Satan have his way. And so what they did is they just met every week and they began to call on God. They began to mention their kids' names. And God ended up beginning to do a work that, that, that broke through strongholds. That happened in this church. Is there not a cause to stand up? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. Is there not a cause to stand up? There's another passage of scripture. Let me draw your attention to it. And I remember preaching on this about 15 months ago. It was called the Acts 12 moment. And um, it's a little bit different than the stand-up challenges that took place. And one of these challenges happened in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. And it says this in, in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his sword, and because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered it into four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. And verse 5 says this, And Peter therefore was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now Luke, who was a doctor, when he uses that word constant prayer, it says, I believe in the King James Version, it says earnest prayer. It was a medical term. And it was a, it was a term which was used to a muscle that is stretched to its limit. And so what Luke was actually saying is, the church just began to rise up and pray like there was no tomorrow. That there was a rising that take place. What's the difference between standing up and rising up? Well, I think that there are times, there are moments in the history of a church where they will rise to the occasion. It happened in Acts chapter 2. It happened in Acts chapter 3 when there was a miracle. It happened in Acts chapter 6 when the widows were neglected. It happened in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was martyred in the church. And the church rose up. And so you see it happening here as well. And I know that there are some people who have said, was there ever a time when the New Testament church didn't pray? Yes, Right here in Acts chapter 12. Look at the first three verses. Oh, the, 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 the king saw that they wanted to harass him. So it says, and it only says in one line. So what he does is he kills James the apostle. What happened was something had taken place. But the church didn't really think that Satan could affect any of the apostles. The apostles, they were untouchable. God had his hand so strongly on them that there was nothing going to happen to the apostles until something happened to the apostle. And then the church began to wake up. That all of a sudden there was something that, that said, hey, we need to do something. We need to rally here. And if we don't rally here, then we're going to be up against something which is absolutely extreme. The fear that Peter would die became the wake-up call for the church. And we're left to ask ourselves, what will be the wake-up call for the church today? 
How far will we allow things to go before we start to pray? Who or what will be the thing that we'll have to die until we finally say, we need to pray? What is it that Satan will take away from us to the point where we say, that is enough, before all of a sudden we begin to rise up and call upon God and cast off whatever spiritual battle is taking place to allow God to do a tremendous thing. And you see, when the church began to pray, the shackles were open, the prison doors were open, that God worked in a tremendous way. You see, it took an angel to fetch Peter from prison, but it took prayer to fetch an angel. And we're left to ask ourselves a really important question. What is our prayer fetching? That's the challenge for us today as we we sit in a church in the middle of a pandemic, praying that God will somehow move by his spirit. And my worry is this, that the church has settled with a level of acceptable misery. That we're, not, that we're not happy, but we're not so unhappy to do something about it. And there's a call. There's a call that comes out to every individual. And there's a call that comes out to every church to rise up. God, help us to stand up. God, help us to rise up. And number three, God, help us to wake up. Because we're so fed up. Luke chapter 15 tells a tremendous story. Maybe one of the best stories in the New Testament. Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives the parable of a a son who says, in essence, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my part of the money. I'm taking off. And and he he wastes his money on what's called, I remember as I first read it, riotous living. And everything is fine until a famine comes, remember? Remember? The famine comes, he finds himself with absolutely nothing. And I'm going to pick up the story at verse 15. It said that he joined himself to a citizen of that city or that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs, to feed swine. And he would have feigned to have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And nobody gave him anything. And when he came to himself, that's a cue word there, isn't it? He came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to eat and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I kind of rise up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And you just read the rest of a love story of a father who's waiting to embrace his son who perhaps wasn't everything that he should have been. And I understand with that passage of scripture, I don't want to ever in any way speak anything out of context. We realize that that passage of scripture, it talks about, talks about us who are gone away as sinners and Jesus talking about his grace and his love, despite the fact that many times we don't even deserve it. And, and there's so much to that story that we can get into. But as I studied, as I looked at that and I heard that phrase, he came to himself come to realize that many times as a follower of Jesus there comes those times also within our faith where we come to ourselves. That in every Christian's life there are one or two aha moments where we've realized that we've kind of faded out of the scene. We're not where we're supposed to be. We've realized that we have wandered. And as you examine yourself this morning, the challenge is to me, hopefully to you as well. Is there a season where you find yourself going on your own strength? 
Are there times that we have forgotten about the power that God has given us in prayer? And so we sit in our lives disappointed or discouraged or disillusioned and it has led to a dullness in my life. And God is all of a sudden coming to, calling us to come to a point of awakening to say, God, help me to pray. Help me to get back to that point where I give you everything and begin to call out to you for the sake of my neighbors and call out to you on the sake of my friends, to call out to you for the sake of my church, to call out to you for the sake of our community. That God, you will call me back to a level of prayer. Is there not a cause? Is there not a time that I have known in our history as a church that we need to begin to rise up and say, I don't know what anyone else is going to do, but I am not going to not pray. I'm not going to succumb to prayerlessness. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord and I'm going to grab some people with me and I'm going to get them to pray with me. I don't even know how or what way. I'm just trusting that the spirit of conviction will allow us to say, no, enough. God, help me to pray. Help me to call out to you. So the idea is not to appeal to your emotions or not to appeal to your heart so much as to appeal to your feet as well. That God will move. Just as I was trying to prepare, I was trying to find something that can bring the message home. I came across this interview from National Public Radio, and they were interviewing young adults that were drifting from organized religion, and they were talking to about a, a particular individual, who was 26 years old, his name was Kyle, and and they're talking about the reasons for him leaving and neglecting his faith. And, and uh, he, just, he just talks about it. But he, in, the, in the process of talking about it, he says, you know, I do have these many existential crises where I say, oh my goodness, what's going to happen when I die? And, 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 and as I, am I going to end up in the ground and everything I've worked for and all my memories are all for naught? He says, I kind of hit these moments while I'm walking away from God and the, the whole thought of this God. And I just kind of, and they mostly happen in times where I'm sitting alone in the dark or where I'm at my loneliness. And, and I just hope that it's just a fear that others have as well. And so the interview goes on and says, well, do you pray? And he's, well, he's kind of a funny thing. Because just when I'm the most scared, the most fearful, the most vulnerable, I'll begin to pray out. And I realize as I'm telling you this that it doesn't align with anything that I've said to you all day in this interview. But I still find myself doing that. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was 18, I, I put a tattoo uh, on my shoulder. And on the tattoo, it basically said, Salvation by the Cross. And the interview said, well, Don't you regret putting that on your shoulder? He says, well, I remember putting it on there thinking, you know what, I'm going to put that on there because I know I'm going to have times where I have a crisis in my faith and I can look at my shoulder and I can see. And he says, it actually has been the one thing that still has me hanging around. And I read that passage of scripture. I believe it says something. It said something to me, but I believe it says something to the church today. It looks pretty bleak out there. But there is still a God out there that is speaking to people's hearts. There's still a God that loves a lost and a dying world. And the one weapon that we have, the one motivating factor, the one thing that we can do is just begin to call out in prayer. Begin to get us back to the point where we shed any kind of spiritual battle and we carpe diem. We seize the day. We call out to him. 
Father, we just pray in Jesus' name that you will allow the anointing of the Holy Spirit to move in our midst. God, I pray, I pray for myself, Lord, that I just don't get moved to emotion and then go back home, watch the football game or whatever, and not be tackled by a fact that there's a community that doesn't know you. And Lord, I believe that there is a church that we have and that there's a world that we have and there's a threshold between that church and the world and we're not reaching that world. And I'm praying, Father, that we can pray in a way where we break that threshold. That we break through the thresholds, not that we want to be influenced by the world in any ways, don't get me wrong, but Lord, that there is somehow a breakthrough that happens so that we can actually reach a lost world. That somehow as we pray, strongholds will be broken and people who are lost will be able to look to us and find life. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to move on each and every individual. Putting in us an overwhelming burden to pray because there is certainly, there is certainly, there is certainly a cause. So have your way. Minister to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook. Thank you.